are listening to Oaks People Podcast, a weekly podcast by Oaks Church Brooklyn. Here, through a series of informal, story-based conversations, we share some of the challenges, the joys, and the ordinary moments of a community following Jesus in the heart of the city, growing deep roots and scattering kingdom seeds all around Brooklyn. Enjoy, and thank you for tuning in. Uh, this is Tyler Staten. I'm sitting here with Patrick Boatwright, who just uh, joined our staff as our pastor of Discipleship of Mission. Patrick, how you doing, brother? Good, bro. Glad to be here. So um, I think we can both agree that this is the weirdest time in history to meet new people. Um, it is nearly impossible to say hi to a new congregation as a pastor has just joined a staff or something. And so um, essentially, what I want to do is give an opportunity to for you to be introduced in a way that is beyond here's a face and a name. Um, so first, I just kind of want to give you the chance to articulate your new role and how you're fitting within our team, what you envision for your relationship to our congregation. How can people expect to get to know you? Yeah, that's a lot. It is a crazy time that we're in. Uh, you know, my role will be pastor, discipleship, and mission. And we'll talk about this a little later as we kind of get into vision, but why I am excited about this, um, one of our first conversations we talked about uh, the reality of our cultural moment that we're in. And um, one of the things I said to you was uh, we've known each other for a long time and we've I think have a shared vision of a fuller expression of the kingdom of God, which means all different kinds of people in the room. But a part of that is not just being welcome, but having a sense of belonging. And so coming onto the staff, one of the things I said was like, Hey, if we want this actual fuller picture of the God of, of God, and we want to be a reconciled people, that means that we're going to have to divest power and then reinvest power. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we were of one mind with that. And so uh, I'm excited to come in um, having been entrusted alongside you and Gemma and Carlos to really put my hands on this congregation and help like shape it through how God has shaped me and is informing me uh, through our discipleship, which is huge, right? Like yeah. as we talk about like how are we are we formed in the way of Jesus? How do we become um, the people of God? So to have um, to be to be empowered and and vested with that responsibility um, to come alongside as a senior pastor of this church is uh, something I don't take lightly and something I'm very excited about. And then the second part of that discipleship and mission uh, to me is, is integral. It's, it's vital. It's the core thing because uh, you know, one of the core pillars of this church is, is uh, the encounter Oh, formative encounter. Yeah, formative encounter with God. Um, And for me, historically, when I think about the formative encounters I've had with God, um, as much as I love you as a preacher, uh, and I I really do, um, if you ask me what's like the top five 
most influential times in my walk with God and, and informing in Jesus, a sermon doesn't make those top five. Yeah, I completely uh, you agree. Know? Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's the experience in living life and the things that I've encountered serving Jesus in the streets, um, whether formally and informally, the people that I've had the conversations. And so I am so excited about seeing us as a church uh, be shaped in the way of Jesus and then meeting Jesus in a way that forever changes us as we become um, not just a people of words, but of works, a, a people of action, a people on the move, the kingdom of God advancing. So, uh, you know, that's a little of the role that that you've invested in me and the elders have invested in me. And uh, I am, you know, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, man. And we're so excited to have you. One of the things that is, I think, really exciting is we, as a church plant, you always start with, you know, just like one or a handful at most of staff. And I've gotten to see us go on this journey where we've grown and grown toward team leadership. And this year we're experiencing that more than we ever have before with you joining our team and then. Um, Carlos coming on full time, Gemma was already contributing in this way. And so to have really a pastoral team at the heart of the staff uh, leading this church is super exciting. And we're thrilled to have you a part of it, man. Um, So yeah, you mentioned that you and I go back and I actually know that you have a little bit of history with TGC Williamsburg, even before it was TGC Williamsburg. I just think that's like an interesting little note to your story. Could you share that uh, quickly? Yeah. So uh, this, I moved to New York and I guess before we even go any further, a little just biographical info about me. Uh, I've been in New York eight years and uh, it is now my home. I met my wife here, Catherine, uh, who's been here 11. So she's like, full-fledged New Yorker. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have a one-year-old, James, uh, who is currently an anarchist. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I I usually call him a terrorist, but I realize terrorist implies some sort of intention. Uh, And I'll give him the benefit of the doubt right now that it's unintentional. Uh, So it's just anarchy, but Mm -hmm. uh, we're trying to keep him from becoming a full terrorist. Uh, But he is... uh, an amazing little guy, and I just love him so much. Um, but yeah, so we we currently live in Prospect Lefferts Gardens, and uh, we've been married five years now, going on five years in February. And uh, so when, uh, interestingly, so I came to New York um, not in church work. My background was in church work. I went to school for biblical studies, youth ministry, worked in churches in Indiana, Colorado. Uh, I'm from South Carolina originally, and there'll be more time uh, for these stories for sure. But I went through a spiritual crisis uh, after my like real first foray into vocational ministry. I was out in Colorado. I came back home to South Carolina um, because it's a family stuff. And I just what really happened was uh, I had. A lot of my misconceptions about God, I ran straight into them. And um, I realized that the God that I had constructed was not the God of the universe. And that God had to die so that I could find uh, Jehovah, Yahweh in his fullest. And that is a long journey. You know, Eckhart Tolle calls it the dark night of the soul. Uh, And so for me, 
that was six years. Within that time, uh, I became a photographer, um, was fortunate enough um, and blessed enough, I would say, a real gift from the Lord to find a great measure of success in that, which ultimately led me to be here in New York. But all the way, God was uh, working within my heart um, like a patient father, like a patient mother, just nurturing me and, and allowing me, uh, like the prodigal son, uh, to come to a place where I was like ready to come back and be part of the family. And so uh, in that journey, uh, being here in New York as a photographer, uh, I had dear friends, uh, the Arps, John and Gabby, who were uh, a part of Williamsburg Church yeah. and actually lived above what's now Charter Coffee. Um, and Junior, who was, a, uh, I know, a loved member of this community. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. so I lived above Junior. And uh, he actually, underneath, he lived on the top floor, you know, uh, spent many a time sitting on Graham Ave, just talking with him and, and coming to Williamsburg Church. I've thrown parties in this space. I've, like, been a part of artist movements, all kind of things. Were you uh, at Brooklyn Speaks? Yeah, Do Brooklyn Circus. That? Oh, Brooklyn yeah. Circus. Oh, yeah. That's what it was That's called. Right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah so, a, so I've had a, a long history. Uh, Robert Elkins, I love that guy. He's a mm-hmm. cool friend. And, um, and so obviously I've been in the Park Slope uh TGC family at Park Slope. Yeah. And uh, so I've watched up close and then from afar as this community has just traveled a journey with God. And so uh, how we get to now and where we are in this present course, uh, I decided uh, earlier, late last fall, um, that it was time for me to, to to wrap my tenure at Park Slope. And uh, coming into this new year, obviously, uh, I put in my resignation in January, unaware that the world was going to put in its resignation as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that was okay because, you know, if God's got us, we're going to be all right, uh, in the words of KDOT. Uh, so uh, I had no clue what was going to happen. Uh, my last day was end of June and uh, I wasn't that worried. My wife uh, was a little more concerned. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I have noticed that it seems like it would take quite a bit to worry you. Yeah, man, God's been too faithful. To yeah. me. He's been too faithful to me. So I'm like, you know, it, he's going to work it out. Yeah. He's like, yes, but you understand there's a there's money that are needed. <laughs> um, so, you know, I said, well, we'll just give it to the Lord. And uh, it was pretty interesting how, as that time was coming, that I ended up in some conversations that led to another offer in a different city. And uh, simultaneously, we were trying to decide where our new church home was going to be. And I remember just calling you to be like, hey, man, I, I love what you guys do from afar, but, you know, Everybody looks kind of good from afar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I want to know the real deal. And it was funny in that conversation. Uh, you can probably talk more about your side of it. it. Was like, I remember you asking, like, "Wait a minute, are you asking about coming here, or are you interested in working here?" Right. I was like, 
Well, I, I didn't really consider yeah, that. You were like, is working here on the table? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hadn't really thought about that. And so, obviously, we went through that whole process. And and, uh, and I think mutually, from you guys aside, from the elders, from yourself, um, seeing what God was doing, and for myself, uh, really seeking the Lord to see what he was bringing together and then at the end of that journey, just just kind of obvious that, man, this place that I had this relational context for um, with people that I admire, knowing you for a while, knowing Carlos and Tiffany and loving them. Uh, it's just like, you know, uh, even uh, the Thompsons, Alice and Kaiser are good friends. And so it's just like, man, this just makes so much sense. God is up to something here. And I can see where he's using my unique gifts and abilities, right? Because those he calls, he equips. And so he's equipped me to come into this church, um, I think especially for the time that we're in, the times that we're in. And so, uh, yeah, um, it's, it's, it's cool to see what's about to happen. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to hear your side of that story because this will give everyone who listens kind of a peek behind the curtain. But I, I remember... Um, chatting with our elder board and saying, look, I want you to know I breached this conversation with Patrick about a pastoral position. I don't even know if we have money for that, you know, but, and then we got into a conversation and they all got quite excited about it. I was like, listen, because I feel like you're being kind of humble about the other offer. I was like, listen, he has a better job offer than this that's on the table. It's at a church I really respect it's it's in a city that makes so much sense. It's you know, and and I just said, I think if if he comes here, we know it's the Holy Spirit. And then <laughs> a couple of the elders were like, Yeah, Tyler, we get that, but are you sure you shouldn't reach back out and like kind of sweeten the deal? But I was like, I was like, No, I I feel really comfortable that we're in a position where it's not my will, it's not his will. I'll know. Okay, God is the one writing the story. If he comes back and says, hey, I'm actually interested because I feel like he would be defying what I would assume is logical. And then that happened. And it was so confirming to me because I was like, "Okay, then let's risk everything to make this happen because it seems like God is in it, uh, which has been really cool. But I I want people to be able to understand a little bit of of the vision that you will bring in, because obviously uh, you're stepping into an existing church with a vision. You know, we're built on three pillars, formative encounter, merciful presence and pilgrim community. Those are the, we laid a foundation as a church on Jesus Christ. And then those are the pillars that we're building around. Um, And yet, whenever anyone comes in and is empowered, then they bring unique flavor to that vision and they help shape it and fill it out. Um, So, yeah, I just want to hear from your heart of like, what are you dreaming about for this church? What are you, what are the big prayers you're praying? Everything in that category. Yeah. So I'll start broad and then I'll go specific. Uh, and I do like, you know, to add some flavor, I think. Uh, my my wife is white and um, I guess half white, but uh, the way she seasons things is definitely more uh, white facing. And uh, so I always have to bring in a little extra, a little pizzazz. Um, so... I think uh, that feels that sounds kind of bad. I'm sorry. I, that, I don't want to be offensive. There are plenty of people, white people, who season their food greatly. So um, 
Shout out to all of you. Yeah, Carlos, uh, don't you dare edit that part out. <laughs> <laughs> Carlos is so like he's going to edit it. Don't edit it. Um, so, uh, Vision, Jeremiah 29, 6, uh, God is speaking to uh, Israel, the northern kingdom, as they've been taken into exile, into Babylon. And so you have these exilic people who are being forced into a foreign land, and they're really being stripped of their identity. We know from like Daniel, as his name is stripped, and he becomes Nebuchadnezzar, uh, that this is a harrowing process, one that I think anyone in their right mind would push against. And um, what happens in Jeremiah that God speaks to the elders of those exilic people and what he calls them to is really something that's just like <sighs> breathes life into my bones because he first just says when you go into this place that I have sent you mm-hmm. so he's like I, I know you're becoming exiles but it's not an accident I'm sending you there mm. and so as exiles Go, marry, have sons and daughters. Give your sons and daughters away in marriage. Like, gardens. build gardens, you know, and it's this beautiful thing. So it's really kind of like this, this picture of them um, establishing themselves within the culture to adapt uh, a merciful presence. So this is this uh, a formative encounter. Like, come in, thrive is what he's saying, and that's really beautiful. But there's a temptation there, right, because you're not in a place you don't want to be. And so there's a temptation then to kind of create uh, your enclaves and your little pockets and to reject this broader culture that you didn't ask for and is trying to oppress you. Uh, and so there's this, this, there can be this temptation to say, we're going to have our thing and uh, we're going to try to thrive while uh, we keep away from those oppressive people. And yet, Jeremiah 29, 6, there's this word where he just says, but. <laughs> so go do all these things, go thrive, but seek the welfare of your city. Because in its welfare, you'll find your welfare. And it's this beautiful picture that breaks down this temptation for our kind of like enclaves into not only thrive, but thrive for yourselves, but thrive for your community, for this place that seems kind of oppressive as, at times, um, so that you can have um, peace for them, peace for yourself, and a fuller vision of my coming kingdom. Uh, this means a lot to me as an, a son of slaves, right? Uh, and though not a, pro- a product of war, but these were exilic people in a land that was not their own. And I would say when you really dig into the history of black people in this country has been one of kind of this vision of just so wanting to thrive, right? (laughs) Oftentimes being denied and not allowed to thrive, but so wanting to seek the good of this whole country. Like I love when you look at Dr. King's speeches, he's always saying like, he's not saying like, hey, put black people on top or give them the power. But he's saying, I want all children, red, white, yellow, but I want them all to come together and let's become a new people. Yeah. Um, one whole people living up to these, 
you know, ideals of our Constitution, but for more than that, let me go to the ideals, I think, of Jeremiah 29, this kind of view of uh, the kingdom of God manifests um, in broken places. And so we live in a broken city. We are an exilic people. If we take the stature of believing that this is not our home, <laughs> that we are, we are foreigners in a strange land passing through until the establishment, the full establishment of God's kingdom. And so, but may we, this is my vision, may we have um, uh, that heart of God found in Jeremiah 29 that we, we thrive as a people together. Right. In the ways that God has made us a pilgrim community, let's come together and have our shared things, but not just for ourselves, but for the benefit of Williamsburg and Bushwick and Greenpoint and LIC uh, and, and Bed-Stuy for this, for all of Brooklyn and New York. And as far as God will take it and reach it, uh, let's be that. And let's yeah. see um, the beauty and the kingdom of God um, in our in our different pockets. And as a reconciled people, um, where there isn't like Jew or Greek, because that's what the Spirit wants to do. And so that's, you know, that's really my heart um, uh, as a as a person. Uh, and then now that's what, you know, I'm adding. You know, those aren't foreign ideas to this, to this pastoral team or this community. Uh, but I, I think, uh, and the last thing I'll say is in specific what I can say, uh, is that I can bring that from a different viewpoint, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, as um, a black man, I know we like, you know, Carlos is Brazilian. He has he comes in with the viewpoint of an immigrant, someone who has a different set of, uh, of mind and gem of Northern Ireland. So we have like these different viewpoints, and to bring one more uh, voice and experience to the mix, you know, uh, the scriptures tell us that then. In the presence of many counselors is safety. And man, what if we could just make this a safe place um, to a hurting world? Yeah, yeah, that's so beautiful, man. And and yeah, I think that what you are stepping into is a community that has been on that journey for a little while. And, and we've gotten to talk some about that. But it is so important to the heart of this church that we are leading in such a way that there's people contributing to the shaping of our church that are seeing different things different ways, that are seeing our city different ways, that are noticing different things, that are reading the scripture different ways, that are encountering Jesus from a different lens, because we want to be a community that is equally welcoming and disciples all different types of people. I mean, that is the opportunity of leading a church in New York, right? I mean, there's other diverse places in the world. I don't, at least in this country, I don't know of another place that within a mile's walk from our church, you have the old and the young, you have the very rich and the very poor and everyone in between. You have immigrants from everywhere in the world and you have people that have grown up in this country from every different ethnic and racial background. And so it's just the opportunity is that picture of the end, you know, that heaven on earth kind of picture existing in a community now. And that's a big part of what we mean when we say merciful presence. If it was just mercy, then we can do acts of service. But if it's presence, then it's let's become the picture. The end is family. It's like kinship with one another. 
Um, and that's what we're really after. And everything that we do to serve, to worship, to, it is forming us into that family, you know? Um, so yeah, th- that's so beautiful, man. I, I want to really get into the weeds for a second now and just say, you know, one thing that I know um, people are going to wonder about is like, oh, this feels a bit tokenistic. Mm-hmm. Like in this moment in history, when social unrest over racial inequality is in front of the national consciousness in a way that has never been before in my lifetime, then suddenly the church hires a, a black man as a pastor. That's convenient. Um, and so I just would love for both you and I to be able just to like name that and yes. speak directly to it. Let's go. Uh, so you go first. <laughs> okay. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I, I think any uh, black person of any conscious uh, right now listening to this would have that kind of question. And um, this is so multi-layered. Uh, we kind of talked about this um, before uh, as, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this in a second as like a white pastor um, with uh, black people that you're shepherding. And there can kind of be this like, damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of thing of like, dude, where's the representation? Um, but then when it happens, it's like, would you just do that because you wanted, like, you know, because like we were, we were crying out for this. And I think that's a, that can be confusing. And so I would love to hear how you experience that. Um, but I also want to say to that, uh, that I think what can happen and what's kind of behind that is a desire. I told you this one of the first conversations we had. Because, uh, frankly, I was leaving a predominantly white church and coming into a predominantly white church, uh, you know, I didn't know if that was a book I wanted to read again. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah. and and I told you one thing I told you, I was like, any black person, and I say any loosely, but I feel pretty good about saying I any. remember this yeah, statement. Any black person that is in a predominantly white evangelical space right now uh, is... Uh, really questioning whether they should be there <laughs> and they're really hurting. Right. And they're really kind of like, should I be moving on? Right. Uh, and I think that's a legitimate question. And I don't think that for every one of those people, the answer is no. I think uh, for some black people in predominantly white spaces, uh, especially ones that have been in cycles of, uh, of just kind of like racial abuse or, um, spiritual abuse or real neglect, really, that they should consider to move on. I think that's just a reality. Um, and then for others, those that sense that it's, um, this is kind of a home and a place, even though it's imperfect. Uh, I think, um, I think there's a twofold thing. One, I am but one black person and we are not a monolith as we all well know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, there, even as a black man, there are experiences to which I'm limited. I don't know fully the plight of my black sisters 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I want to amplify their voices and I want to be a source of empowerment and help for them. Um, but they have a different story and a different voice that needs to be um, just as much heard and elevated. Um, also within Black people, I got my own experiences as a son of the South. I know a thing or two about prejudice and racism. Uh, and, uh, and I also have my own hurts, you know, uh, we're in a cultural space where like, you know, we're recording this just days after, um, Jacob Blake, you know, took, right. you know, eight shots in the back. And I can't, I, I couldn't watch the video. I don't need to watch the video because I've seen too many and I'm in a place where I'm like, I, I don't, I'm already angry enough, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't need to add any more kerosene to this fire right now. Um, but where am I going with that? So I want to say, so to, so for black people in white spaces. Um, so I want to caveat that, that I am just one black person within a sea of black voices. But I think what's so important as we pastor is that the reality is there are just parts of the black experience to which through the grace of God and the empowerment of the spirit, you could, um, be a conduit of care, but you could never fully like enter. Right. That's just, that's just the reality of it. And this is why it's so good to have different people and different voices because there will be an aspect in which um, I can um, be a voice within our meetings, within the way that we look at things, um, within noticing where there's more pastoral care needed um, and advocating for that and addressing some of our institutional blind spots. So that's reality. Is that a token? Uh, I think what makes someone a token is when they are given, um, when they're used as a mask. <laughs> we're going to put you here. We're going to, we're going to make you a figurehead, but you're not going to have any real power. You're not going to have really any real investment. You're not going to really be invested, uh, or vested with any, uh, ability to really affect and change the culture. And, uh, you know, I appreciate sure a couple of weeks ago when we talked about, I talked about being a sucker. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. And, uh, I may be a lot of things. One of the things I'm not is a sucker. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you can attest, and, I, and I'll, I'll, after I say this, I want to hear your side of this and view of this. Um, we had a lot of conversations. Even after I signed the papers, I had to call back and be like, okay, let's really talk about yeah. what it's going to mean for me to be actually vested with with power. Not because, um, you know, uh, Sho Baraka uh, is a rapper who says, do I really want peace or do I want power so I can try it? Great question. When I have to yeah. ask myself. Wow. Um, I don't want power just so I can feel what it's like. I want power because power has to be invested and other people so that we can, we can fully reach the peace that we desire. Uh, and then it becomes incumbent upon me to steward that power well. And I, and I promise to this congregation that I will, but that's where I can firmly say, uh, that, you know, you won't, if you, 
I don't, I fully don't believe I was a token hire. I don't believe that's a thing. I do believe that I was a part of it. That can't be denied is that there is a benefit in me coming in as a black voice in this pastoral team. But I can also say definitively um, that, you know, you have divested power, invested it in me. Uh, and uh, that will result in some changes that I have to say may be at times uncomfortable for you, for our congregation, um, for our elders, you know, like it's gonna, you know, it's just always uncomfortable, but um, what makes it okay, because, you know, as Proverbs says, is better are the wounds of a friend than a kiss of, or uh, better are the wounds of an enemy than a kiss from a friend. Um, what unites us is in the shared vision that we just talked about, is to see the kingdom of God in Brooklyn as it is in heaven. And so, uh, any uncomfort that I come is not to cause dissension or derision, but it's to be a voice that pushes us further into a reconciled pilgrim community uh, under merciful presence, being having these formative encounters yeah. with God. Yeah, yeah, and man, thanks for saying all of that. Thank you for, uh, I really do want to divest power, so call me to account when I don't. Thank you for saying that. I, yeah, I think to share some insight from my point of view, I'll first just like say very clearly and definitively, um, you know, would I have hired you if there wasn't this moment of heightened racial unrest and everything? Yes! You know, like you and I had years of friendship going back. We had had a bunch of, uh, we've shared several meals. We've we've connected over, oh, your vision for the church looks like this. Mine does too, you know, and like shared passion points and everything. You were just never a free agent. You know, and then suddenly you called me about going to church somewhere else. And I was like, wait a minute, you're not working at that church anymore. Interesting. You know, and so that that just happened at the moment. And I would say, is it a benefit that you bring a different perspective and that you have a different racial background and that you have a different experience in the church? Yes, of course, for all the reasons that you said. Um, And our team was running too thin last year. And there was so many opportunities that we had for discipleship and mission that we could not say yes to because we didn't have uh, the bandwidth as a team. And you are the right person to come in and contribute to our church in all of those ways. So you will move us forward as a reconciling community. And we absolutely needed and wanted to hire someone in the role that you're taking on regardless. And so... I would say you're not a token in any of those ways either. And to, to answer your question of like, how am I experiencing leadership as as a white pastor in Brooklyn at this moment? I would say two things. Um, one, I feel often, I feel often like this, this call to like go faster, go faster, go faster. And I think as as a lead pastor, you often see the journey you've been on and you live in this tension of like, we are nowhere near where we want to go. But man, when I look back, I'm like, whoa, but we've also covered a lot of ground. And I'm not saying we don't need to go faster. Maybe we do, but I, I just, you know, our church has a very um, 
complicated history as a church plant, but we inherited nine years worth of history when we started and joined up with uh, another community. And that community came out of a theological tradition whose interpretation of scripture was women can't preach in the church. Um, And we, you know, I, I remember elders me I remember writing a 20 page paper on why women could be elders and pastors and not only preach but lead the church I remember and all the like tiny hits that I took behind the scenes as we kind of turned the culture of the church and then all the way to the point where Gemma is one of the primary pastors a woman shaping this church preaching to this church everything like that and so that is one expression of diversity um Racial and ethnic diversity is another expression. And so to see us like going on this journey where it's like, man, our who we are um, in terms of representation is so different. And we're six years old. And that, that's not even going like launch Sunday, which is like a church planning term. That's like when we first started calling ourselves Trinity Grace Church Williamsburg and having small meetings where everyone sat in a circle and folding chairs. That was six years ago. And I'm like, it's six years we've gone so far and man the distance we have to still go is way further but I'm like we're on the journey and and so I feel like maybe an an equal parts like yes you're absolutely right everything you say we need to go faster and like and I also feel like and we've covered some ground we're doing it let's just keep going um and then so but the other thing that I, I feel is I think in the last in the last year, just to be really honest, one of the things that's come up to the surface for me is just the realization of how much I don't know and how much I have given myself a pass. Because my my ministry experience started with leading uh, youth ministry for five years that had only um, black and brown students, high school students who were living below the poverty line. And I remember that. Yeah. So, we met right, we met then. And, and so my whole world was not the world that I grew up in. And every family that I was ministering to, yeah, I was the minority in the ministry that I was leading. And so I, I guess I felt like very well versed in the plight of the poor and the plight of the minority in this country as a white person that grew up in a very white suburb of a very white city in Nashville, Tennessee. So like, I felt like I had entered into that for five years of my life and been immersed in it. Um, and so honestly, I think I've given myself a pass that is basically, and I would never, I've never articulated it and would never articulate it this directly, but I think honestly, I thought something like, ah, but I get it. Yeah. You know, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think through conversation and listening and gaining more understanding, I've realized like I'm, I don't even come close to getting it. Yeah. And I'm never going to. And, um, and having some understanding of another person's experience is a very different thing than knowing how to create a community that feels like home to all different kinds of people. Those are different things. And so here's what I know. The church is meant to be a place where anyone, regardless of generation, political view, racial, ethnic background, socioeconomic status, anyone walks in and feels home. 
And I know this, our church isn't that place right now. And that is absolutely heartbreaking to me. And the only way that we continue to move toward becoming that place is by divesting power to different types of people who can shape it into a home that feels like that to all different types of people. So I hope that's the journey that we continue to go on as, as a community. Yeah, I just want to say one thing about it. I know we got to wrap this up. Um, yeah, you take the last word. Yeah, I would just say this to you. Uh, I think it takes, and I'm not going to, you know, what I heard you just say was, dude, I've, I know we got a lot of battles to fight, but I've already been fighting a lot of battles. So, like, forgive me if I'm a little winded. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah that's a good summary. <laughs> And uh, I agree with that, though I think a lot of people, you know, are going to be like, well, that's the job. Yeah, yeah, like, like, no no one's going to give you a pass. Suck it up. (laughs) (laughs) And I know you're not asking for people to like, (laughs) you're not asking for that. But um, uh, I will say this. It is a reality, man. It's it's hard. And so on the one hand, I want to say and acknowledge um, that it takes courage. to own our stuff um, and to say, I got blind spots and I've given myself a path, right? Because yeah. even in that, it's like, yeah, we kind of expand because like when we talk about black people in this country, oftentimes we're talking about like, we think about like the poor people or the, like, I mean, there's like, we got middle-class black people. We got rich black people. We got super rich black people. We got all kinds of black people out here. Uh, and we all like have like these different uh, experiences and, and all um, have a role to play in the kingdom of God. So uh, as we expand that, that, that's part of my thing as your brother is going to be like helping shine light those blind spots. Yeah. You help shine light on my blind spot. Um, and so I know you're not asking for a pass, but I do want to acknowledge um just even from knowing you and, and the work that you've done. And, and obviously you're not a finished product and that's great. I'm not either. So join the club. We'll be yeah, there together. Yeah. Um, but I do want to say, like I said, um, to you specifically, when I was looking for a new church and I thought about the places that I wanted to go and who um, I would want to be led by, you were on that list because I know most of all that you desire to be a person formed in the way of Jesus, that you desire God with your heart, mind, soul, and body. And that uh, supersedes everything because out of that place flows an ethic of reconciliation. Out of that flows an ethic of justice. Out of that flows uh, uh, all the things that we want to be a reconciled people. Uh, and so um, I just I just say uh, I just say that you know it's not up to us where we go. <laughs> it's up to God. He's got in this church. Um, but uh, in you, I see someone who is not perfect but who can acknowledge it and can go to the Lord with his imperfection. And that's a person I can walk alongside. That's a person I can serve under. Um, that's a person I'm glad to call my pastor. Um, uh, as, as flawed, you know, like that's that I can work with. Um, and so uh, 
you know, and I know you give the same to me. And so together then we have a shot because then it puts the onus on the Lord uh, and to make us what he wants to make us. Amen. Amen. That's where we got to end. So family, meet Patrick Boatwright. This is just an introduction, but it's the best we can do as far as introductions go in a pandemic. We love you. We miss you. We hope to see you soon. Wear your mask. Grace and peace.